You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Afterlaugh. I'm here with Sasha Rothschild. Sasha, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is interesting because uh, Sasha, I actually, I don't know what the equivalent on Twitter is. I cold called you. Yeah. What would it be? I, I slid into your DMs. Yeah, he he, you DM'd, you DM'd now, me. So the reason I DM'd uh, Sasha is because she is. Currently a writer on Glow. Correct. Which not only is it like a hit show, but it's one of those annoying hit shows where everyone I know who's cool watches it. And it has this kind of cool factor. I never get on the shows with a cool factor. I get on like Criminal Minds and shit like that or Bones that no one so, no one in America, no one cool watches. But, but you're like, making a lot of money because they air yeah. all day long in the middle Although of the night. That's changed, which you might know about too. I do. I know. But I would like to say I have seen every single episode of Bones, all 12 seasons. I am a huge Bones fan. Really? And I am cool. So oh. you need to rethink. We've got people coming in, Sean. Yeah. yeah. No. By the way, I've never been on Bones. That was just. it's. Oh. It, see, I was going to say, what episode were you on? I will remember you. But, let me tell but you, you haven't Bones. even been on Bones. I have, I have been on Sex and the City, which brings that you were also a writer on The Carry Diary. I was, Yes. But uh, I, th- listen, listen, we're getting off track. Let's get back to let's get back to the bona fides and let's get back to like who you are. So first okay. of all, I, I, I knew you're writer in Glow. Glow is obviously a great show. It's a huge hit, um, and you've done a lot of other things. Yes. And uh, I was, I followed you on Twitter. I don't know how. I think it was probably one of the things. Usually, I follow people on Twitter because somebody I'm following retweets someone else, and I go, oh, and then I go down the rabbit hole of the timeline. And right. I go, this person's funny. So I said, okay, this this woman's very funny. I looked at your bona fides, and I was like, "Hi!" Hey. No, of course, of course. Hey, how are you guys doing? You must be Bill. Yeah. I'm Bill. Good to see you guys. And this is Sasha, Come. and this is Tommy. Hello. Okay. Yeah, enter, I, I, enter I, your I, home. I, I, warned that, I, I warned that this was going to happen. Um, how's it been? It's been it's been a nice. How that was a parade? To, no, the parade's Sunday. The parade is on Sunday. That's correct. But it's yeah. basically like it's already happening. It's happening. Right? It's happening out there. You went to Universal? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had to go see Harry oh, Potter. Oh, is that Star Wars isn't there? No, no, no that's, that's Disney. Disney. How was Harry Potter? <laughs> that's cool. Gryffindor, Ravenclaw. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sl- I'm Slytherin. <laughs> yeah, you know. But you're a ginger I'm not, like a Weasley. I'm not evil. I just have ambition. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that Twitter. Was, that was one of the, the best segues we've had. <laughs> so we, we may cut that out. We may not. We may uh, keep yeah, it. You never no, know. I'm proud. I'm proud. Proud to yeah, be. Is that where you really want to sit, Tommy? Slytherin. Um, okay, so, um, and then we got the helicopters. It's all beautiful. So so I slid it. I slid it. Now, so sliding to people's DMs probably right away sets off like bells, right? Yeah. Like this guy's creeping on me. Yeah. One of the things I've I've heard a lot in LA is that guys say, Hey, we should collab. 
They say, <laughs> they don't say collaborate. They say, hey, we should collab on something, which is the new Netflix and chill or something. Hey, you want to collab? So I know full well sliding into uh, a, a woman's DM that, that it's going to look like I'm creeping. So I want to hear about the process of you getting a creepy DM from a stranger about doing a podcast to you agreeing to do it because that's interesting to me. Uh, all right. So I get – well, so I noticed you follow, followed me, I don't know, a couple of years ago actually. Oh, really? And I only noticed because you were a redhead. Because otherwise, I would not have noticed. And I think in your bio, it says ginger, actually. So I was like, oh, this guy's a redhead. Oh, he's a comedian. Oh, all right, I'll follow him back, kind of because of your hair. It's yeah. it just completely. Then um, I didn't pay attention to you. And then you DM'd me. And I was like, what's up with this guy? Like, what's his situation? What's he up to? And I'm married. And I'm not into the, you know, the meeting people on the things and online and things. And then I uh, looked into your podcast and saw that one of my very best friends, Chris Martin, had done your podcast. So I text Chris Martin late at night and I'm like, what's the deal with Bill Dawes? Is he like a good guy? Does he really want me to do his podcast? Or is he like trying to what, what's his and then Chris and his wife, Hannah, were like, oh, my God, he's awesome. He's great totally trustworthy you can absolutely show up in his yard and be 100 percent safe and that was how why i'm here oh very cool so chris martin if people didn't he is a comic who i met in new zealand for the new zealand comedy festival and he moved here with his lovely wife hannah who's scottish and uh he's one of the nicest guys i've ever met in my such a nice life. guy and a very very funny guy yeah check and out the chris martin episode the chris martin we were kind of like the odd couple in New Zealand because he's also clean as a comic. Yes. His material yeah. is very G-rated. Wholesome. And I, for the love of God, I just <laughs> cannot make myself G-rated. I don't even know if I can. I can barely squeak out PG-13 on a good day. So, um, but we got along. Usually when the clean comics, I feel like they look down on me and like, oh, you're just a blue. But he's just a nice guy. And we, we were like, uh, you know, we were joined at the hip for those times. So anyway, uh, I love him. I miss him. So we'll, we'll get back to that. And so, he, he vetted you. So... That's, and it's funny because I feel that women always need – I feel like guys need to be vetted for, to have any interaction with a woman nowadays almost. I think that's true not even nowadays. I think it's just kind of the reality of if some random person reaches out to you, if you don't want what the random person might want, yes. you need to vet that random person. Yes, of course, of course. It's always – oh, man – I can't tell you, Mouse. I want to talk to you about that as well because you've been in Hollywood for how long? Um, since 1998. So what is that? Wow. That's 20, 20 one years. years. That's 21 years. I moved out here in May of 98. So let's get, so let's get to your story. You were um, – and before that, I'm imagining – before LA, where are you? You're in New York. I'm in Miami. I You're grew up Miami. in my. I grew up on South Beach. Um, wow. Which was bananas. And you were in your Jew, correct? I'm a Jew. Where's yeah. Robert, you're Jewish. I know. I, I actually listened to your Zara interview, uh, your Zara podcast, and it was yeah. fun. The, the Jew. Uh, yeah. I'm, I I am a Jewish. I'm an atheist Jew. Atheist Jew, which yeah. is basically a Jew. I'm a Jew. Yeah. Um, so South Beach. I mentioned. Is that a heavy Jewish population in South Beach? Uh, South Beach is heavily. Yeah, a lot of Jewish families in Miami Beach. Uh, the the cool thing about Miami Beach is, and I I could be wrong about saying this as a as a whole, but I think it's one of the only cities in America that is all minorities because it's Jewish, gay, black, 
Puerto Rican. And Latino. Yeah. Not a lot of Puerto Ricans. Really? Interestingly, Miami? it's a lot of um, Cuban, Cuban uh, a lot of Colombian, Dominican. Um, I guess there are some Puerto Ricans, but I feel like New York has a yes. bigger Puerto Rican. Um, and Haitian. And there are very few, like, white Christian people in Miami Beach. Interesting. And um, so it's sort of this city filled with minorities all making things fabulous yeah. and fun. So I want to ask you about Miami Beach because I've been to South Beach a lot to party. Yeah. And uh, everyone there is really beautiful. Yeah. I feel like their priorities are completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of Coke. A lot of Coke. Yep. Lots of drinking. Lots of, uh, lots of fun times. Um, a lot of people who can tan. So, I, I'm not one of them. So, but I'm so as a writer and as someone who is entering a business that is basically just substance, and you can't tan. How did Miami? How did Miami <laughs> Beach sort of galvanize your talent as a writer? Is it something that was despite that you lived there, or did it help you? Um, I think it helped me because I. Um, well, one, I don't look like I fit in in Miami. I couldn't be in a bikini on the beach. I have already had some skin cancer. I'm like incredibly sun sensitive. So I decided to go super goth because at least I would have like a look That's about hilarious. myself. So, so you at know, what age you were like? I started to get really into vampires when I was like 10, 11. And then uh, was at goth club starting at age 12 and had custom made fangs and only <laughs> would write about vampires and um, really leaned in. Mm -hmm. And so I was a total weirdo outcast pretty much my whole childhood and um, had a few close friends, but really was always like the person that was bullied and the person that was not, I was never like the cool person. And um, I would come home and tell stories about school to my parents and my father's a journalist. And uh, my parents would say, you know, you have to write this down or you have, that's such a good story. And I think because I was so shunned growing up in this crazy city, yeah. and, but there was so much adventure to be had. If you look around like the obvious, um, I had a lot of material yeah. and to write about. And did you, were you a journaler? Were you one of these I was a journaler. I started keeping a diary from the time I was like seven and I have all of them. You have all of them. All of my diaries stacked up in a closet. Um, and it's all written Do you go down. Back and read them every once in a while. Well, so a friend of mine, uh, I'm going to plug someone else's show yeah, now. Please. Dave Nadelberg started this show called Mortified, um, where people get on stage and they read from their yeah, diaries. Yeah, heard about that, of course. So he had this idea when I was hanging out with him and another friend who's a who's a comedian this guy Matt Harowitz and uh, Dave had found this old letter he had written to a girl when he was 16 he never gave it to her and he read it out loud and Matt and I were dying laughing and it was it was truly mortifying yeah. and Dave was like this is, this is a show so I have all my old diaries so I started going through them and I started I did the first very first mortified show um, about I think it's like 15 years ago we rented the, okay. the little room next to the improv which is now the lab the lab but, but 15 years ago it was like this little black box okay. we rented it and we got on stage and read from our diaries and um some of my diaries have become sort of infamous because npr picked up one of my segments on this american life reading from my 13 year old diary when i do coke for the first time and i lose my virginity on a lifeguard stand and i'm like like partying in miami and i'm having the best time and i'm 13 wow. um and so that kind of actually being on This American Life helped get me a job writing articles for LA Weekly. So my diaries really helped my writing career. 
Wow, that's really amazing. Because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have diaries and they don't know. And they're, they're a writer. There are lots of I mean, I think a lot of people listen to this podcast are people who are interested in entertainment but aren't necessarily taking the jump into it. Yeah. And they may at some point or they may be serious. So I'm, always, I'm always curious about the writer journey because it's different than the per- performer yes. journey, I think. It is, yeah. I think it's a very different. You're, you're it's very solitary. You yeah. don't necessarily have out. You don't have immediate outside response. You or can instant gratification. Instant gratification. Doing, yeah. um, I felt from a very young age that if I didn't write it down, it didn't exist. Yeah. And somehow writing stuff down made me feel like I existed in the world. Um, and so I've always had, I needed to write it down. It was sort of yeah. a compulsion that turned into a love that turned into a career. That's amazing. And did you know at a young age you wanted to be a writer or you were just writing things down? I knew from a pretty young age that it was really something interesting to me. I would watch my father sit in his office for hours on end just like typing away. And then like six months later, there'd be a book or an article or in a magazine. And there was something so glamorous about that, even though there is nothing less glamorous than yeah. sitting home alone in your sweatpants writing. And he probably had like but an old Smith Corona typewriter. He had an old, I mean, he had a really old typewriter. And then I remember his first like computer. Um, and he had this box of dot matrix paper with like the holes oh, yeah, on yeah, either yeah. side and the printer that would, um, and I just knew this was – I wanted to write words and then have people read the words. Yeah. And then um, I got into – when I got into college um, – Where did you go to college? I went to Boston College. Okay. Which – because I didn't get into Yale. I thought I would. It was like the first lesson in my life of being 17 and realizing you can really try hard and still completely fail. <laughs> um so BC was my safety school. It's a good school, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize it was Catholic. I didn't realize oh, wow. it was so conservative. I didn't even look into it. It was just like my safety school that yeah. I would never go to because I was going to <laughs> Yale. Um, but I got into this um, sketch comedy group, as one will do. As one will do. In to college. To meet, to meet people guys. and just to meet – just to oh, – the guys at BC were the worst. Um, but – in this sketch comedy group, it was so clear to me within a few months that I loved writing the sketches and having other people perform them much more than me performing them. Yeah. I'm not a great performer. I feel way less inhibited. I can write anything, but I'm not – it's just not where – Yeah, but like, you have performed it. Just I have performed really natural. It's not natural. I'm not great at it. And it was so empowering to hear – really gifted performers say my words and then an audience laugh at my words. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm like God. Yeah. Like it felt like I was God yeah. in that little way. So do, you, do you ever feel that when you're writing stuff – and I always think about this with writers too. You have an image of a person. I mean everyone that you're writing is some sort of extrapolation of someone you know in real life usually, right? And you write the thing and a casting director, producer puts someone else in it and you're like, that person's not – the thing in my head and either they change your mind about the role or you just go, yeah, they fucked up. I mean, both of them must have happened at some point, right? Um, I think I've been lucky in that usually when someone is cast that I don't originally picture, they actually bring something to it that's so much more and different and another layer than I was seeing. And I, I, so I've had really good experiences in terms of, of, collaborating with the performer rather than, oh, fuck that person. Um, so 
I try and I haven't had a disaster, actually. Yes, that's good. And you're in I want to get back up a little bit. So you're in Boston College. You're in the improv. You're just write, you're writing sketches for these people. Writing sketches. Uh, and at this point, you're pretty much like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm a writer in some capacity. Yeah. But in your head, was it TV or film or did you plays? So I majored in theater with a concentration in playwriting. And my thought was I maybe will go to New York after I graduate and write plays mm-hmm. and be freezing and poor. Or I'll come to L.A., try and write for TV and be warm with the hope of one day being rich. Yes. So uh, I was so cold for four years in Boston, like truly oh, yeah. um, my first winter in Boston by October because, again, I grew up in Miami. I was wearing a full ski mask to walk to class, and people thought I was such a freak. And once again, I was surrounded by people that completely thought I was a freak and was a total outcast. Um, I would wear my ski mask and then a pro-choice hat and, like, was totally the villain of what Boston College. What is a pro-choice College. hat? It just says pro-choice? It, it, was, it has a female – it was a female sign and then, yeah, it said choice. Okay. Just I thought a maybe choice. it was, like, a baby with X through it. And I was like, that might no, be No, no. Um, no one's anti-baby. Okay, They're pro-choice. Okay. Come on, that. Bill. That don't cause that. trouble. I know. I, I can't help it. One of my favorite jokes I say is like I'm – I talk about how I'm liberal but, you know, like I believe in a woman's right to choose as long as it's the right choice um, and that's abortion. But – and then, then it's all about traffic <laughs> on 405. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> – I know it's terrible, right? It's great when you do like these really like I do a lot of like Republican towns like Reno and they're on my side and they do like a pro like a pro, not a pro choice like a pro abortion joke <laughs> and they're just like what the fuck did you what, say? What do you and they move on to the next yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, move on, move on. Anyway, um so your major was theater playwriting. Yes. Which is probably as you know, probably one of the most useless degrees you could probably get oh, in the world. I felt like it was very as helpful. Who has an acting degree. Well, but I learned a lot about Okay. I actually learned. Um, it was. It's a really good theater department there, and uh, I learned how to write dialogue. I learned how to write a scene. I learned. Um, I learned, and I felt like in high school, like I knew how to write, and my father taught me a lot about writing. But I really uh, upped my game in college in a yeah. way that I was like, oh. And then I think after I graduated and moved to LA to just you know start doing it. Um, there's all these, you know, sort of classes you could pay for and workshops you can do. And that stuff, my, what my father, my advice, the advice my father gave me was, look, writers write. You now have the education. You don't need any of that other crap. If you're going to be a writer, you're going to sit down every day and you're going to write some stuff and you're going to waitress or whatever. But if you keep needing school, it's like an excuse to not do the work. That makes sense. And I took that in and just wrote. Yeah. Now, when you're writing your journals, that's a different part of your brain than maybe writing a fictional scene with with dialogue and different characters like that. Uh, do you feel – obviously, the bread and butter for you is screenwriting and now dialogue and stuff like that. You also write memoirs though, right? You do, do you feel like yeah. it's a different part of your brain? Because, for example, as comics, there are a lot of comics who do stand-up and improv. But usually it's never the twain shall meet. Usually it's rare that a comic does stand-up and improv. And I wonder if like writing memoirs and writing about yourself is very different from writing for other people in dialogue. Um, it is different. I find that 
if I can find if I can find something real in every fictional character I write, whether it's something that I feel or a friend has felt or something I've witnessed with then a fictional twist to it, if it starts at a real place, yeah, I think it's so much better. Um, the characters are better, the story is better, and so I usually somehow go back to the realness of like the memoir writing or I write a lot of personal essays. I had a, a, wrote a really brutal essay about um, my father for Elle magazine in January. That was, it was not funny at all, which was one of the first times I've written something that's, what was um, that? can, we, can we talk about that? Is that a little too deep? Um, we can talk about that. It's not, yeah, we can what talk was, about that. Was Cause you said brutal article about your father. So uh, my father has Alzheimer's, which is uh, really sad for all the usual reasons. Um, But we discovered last year because um, he literally forgot to lie that he sort of lived a double life his whole life. And he and my mother have been together for like 50 years and there were secrets and affairs and a whole bunch of another fucked family? up shit. Not another family. Okay. Um, and as far as I know, no other children, but just a life of hypocrisy and lies. And How um, uncovered? he started talking about it to my mother because he, his brain betrayed him wow. and all the secrets that he had kept, his brain forgot to keep secrets for 50 years. Yeah. And uh, and then it kind of spun out from there, and my sister and I um, and my brother sort of uncovered some more stuff, and so the whole sort of relationship I thought I had with him and the whole person I thought he was, he's not, and just really like had to reframe my whole childhood. And interestingly, because he's really the person who taught me how to write, yeah, and um, he he is somebody who told me like the best writing is like the real stuff and you have to go there whether it's even even in fiction like you have to g- get to the heart of yeah i think that's why glow is actually so good it's because there's real emotion in it but um he taught me that and then i ended up writing about him in that way so it's kind of a crazy is he able to read it he's not no, no. so he's, you felt so that must give you a certain comfort knowing that he's not going to yeah. know about this he's right he's beyond the that's point like the of, anti-notebook movie. Yes, it is. It's the anti-notebook. It's the fucked up side of Alzheimer's that no one's talking about, but I'm starting to talk about. Do you feel that that's something – Do you, when something that happens, do you go, this is a movie or this is a series or this is a – Yeah, I do think there is something here and I'm definitely – and I'm developing it with um, a production company now and it's sort of in the works is something to, to deal with, to tackle and it, and it will be – dark but it also will have humor because it has yeah. to or else it's yeah i think that alzheimer's is one of the things that has not really I, there was like what was like there was a great movie that this woman just made about people what they give us or the oh, God, oh about the man and the woman in the home and the the is a female writer director and i think it was at sundance and how they what they see or how they yeah or, i know exactly what you're talking about i have not seen i've stayed away from a lot of alzheimer's movies the past few years just because it was too much for yeah. me to like dive into someone else's story about it of when course. i was like living my own but i know what you're talking about um so i want to get back to i want to get back to the crowd by the way i know that you have brothers and sisters. you have a brother a sister and i sister. have a brother and a sister because i always feel that a lot of people in entertainment they're usually the youngest or they're an only child i'm the youngest you're the youngest yeah so you're the baby i'm the baby were you daddy's girl 
I they think so. My brother and sister certainly think so. Yeah. I thought that I could do no right even when I could do right. Like yeah. I always felt like I could if, you know, if I sort of like had all A's and an A minus, he'd say, "What happened there with that <laughs> A minus?" Um so I I was very much fueled by his wanting his approval. Yeah. And are your brother and sister in the business? Uh, no. My brother lives in Seattle and has a very interesting life doing all sorts of interesting jobs from being a garlic farmer to a chef to uh, teaching jujitsu. Um, there we go. Yeah, he's... Uh, that sounds like there's weed. In, he has. He smokes weed. He, he does not... Uh, he does not... Do the do the drugs oh, really? at the moment. Yeah. He's, wow. I he's always find when people have like fascinating and, lives and they change careers. Yeah. I'm like, drugs had to be a factor. But... Clean, clean and sober. Okay. I do jujitsu too. Yeah. There's my little gi hanging. Oh, right yeah, there. yeah. yeah. Uh, and my sister is in New York and she's in um, – she works in a, uh, advertising. Okay. So after you graduate with your playwriting degree, you don't do the New York thing. Good call. Yeah. But have you written a play? I wrote a play senior year of college – and um, it was then produced at Boston College the next year. Oh, wow. And the girl they cast to play the me in the play, the play was about me and my best friend, Mike, in this big fight we had. And again, it was like taken from a real thing that happened to me, but then I blew it up and fictionalized it. The girl that was cast to play me was my nemesis. In, oh, yeah, that's so funny. And, and I was so furious. I was like, what the fuck? You're fucking casting her to play me? I fucking hate this girl. Um, and she was amazing. I went back the next year and that's one of those times where I had to like let, I had to realize maybe we, maybe we hate each other cause we're just because similar, kind of similar enough. Exactly. And she was great. Um, so yes, I had written a play. I came to LA one way plane ticket, one way plane ticket, one way plane it was ticket. Like I had $40 in my pocket. Did you have, did you have a job lined up? No, I had nothing. I had a little more than $40. A guy that you knew? Uh, I, I, that so you knew? my friend Allison, who was a sophomore at BC, and I became friends with her, she grew up in L.A. And when I moved out here, I lived with her parents for the first two months to, okay. like, get myself organized. Sure. And my first job was um, waiting, cocktail waitressing at Q's Billiards in Brentwood. Which is what your dad's advice was. Which is, yeah. Get the job. Get the job. And, and was, that, it, was it a cocktail waitress in Q's? Is have that you a, been is to Q's? A, oh, yeah. It's pool hall. It's a really douchey pool hall in Brentwood. Have so you, it's like a fancy pool hall. It's not like sawdust. No, it, yeah, it's fancy. It's fancy. It's like, I don't know who go. It was a bunch of like... Um, like college guys from uh, UCLA, UCLA would go and play pool. Kind of and who were like, hey, we're rich, but we're playing pool. How yeah. Good is that? It, but yeah, drinks were pricey. One of my jobs every night was like at 1.55 a.m. I had to play It's Closing Time. Yeah. That's like every <laughs> night. And I, I hated that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, was this a job that you felt like, hey, this is what you need to do? Or you're like, I'm slowly dying inside doing this unless I get saved. Soon. I wasn't slowly dying yet. I actually had a lot of fun cocktailing because I'm pretty extroverted and I got to meet people and I got to be on my feet. And um, then through a series of events, I ended up being Craig Kilborn's assistant when he moved from the Late Late sh from the Daily Show to, to the, the Late to oh, the Late Late, late Show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how does that happen? So I had a general meeting at Universal um, Human Resources. And then a few months later, while I'm working at Q's, I get a call that Kilborn is moving in, taking over for Tom Ferguson, 
no, not Tom Snyder, Tom Snyder was way yes. back then. Yes. Um, and needed an assistant, and the line producer was interviewing people. So I went in and I, and I interviewed with her, and I got through that interview, and then I interviewed with Craig, and uh, I was like so excited because he's famous, and um, and I remember after the interview, I said to him, I have f- he used to do these five questions on the Daily Show. That was like the end bit where he do. It doesn't That's matter. Right. He was he was the guy. He was the he original was the Daily, Daily Show. Daily show. Yes, he was the original Daily Show host. Yeah, that's right. So his whole bit was five questions at the end of every interview. So at the end of his interviewing me, I said to him, Craig, I have five questions for you. And he thought that was just delightful. So I ended up actually getting a job. Um, I didn't, I ended up being the executive producer's assistant and not his assistant, but I worked closely in late night for a solid year. Did you get the chance to write in those situations? No, it was clear to me that there was not one woman writer in that writer's room. I was not, even it was so far-fetched for me to even think that I would be writing jokes on the Late Late Show like it was it was yeah that I I quickly learned that that was not this was not going to be a place where I was going to move up the ranks interesting and also I was not a joke writer I knew that although I had one joke that I wrote and they did air Craig said the joke what was it it was uh, Ben and Jerry's had come out with a new flavor ice cream and the setup was Ben and Jerry's new flavor ice cream um called oh fuck uh what was the punchline? Your first joke. You don't I remember. know, I know, I know, but it was corn and chocolate. Heinous anus. That's heinous what the, anus. He called heinous anus with corn and chocolate. I like that. Chocolate with That's corn. Good. Chocolate ice cream with corn. Heinous anus. That was the, yeah. Time is going to steal that later. You can have my heinous anus. That was, <laughs> uh, that was my first, yeah, that was my first televised. That must have felt great. It was really exciting. Of course, they, they'd pay you for the joke. No, they didn't pay me for the joke, out. but. He would put me on the show a lot and make fun of me, like, oh, oh. have the assistant come out? Um, and I, so I was often on the show that year. And because it was an after show, I got paid like a, like a lot. I got paid like $540 every time I said like a word on TV yeah. or whatever it was, With over your, four you know, words. Your or, headset, like, hey, Craig, yeah, sorry about that. They did bits where there was a whole bit where he would read from his diary and it was the Dear Diary segment. He would do it every Friday. And I was the voice in his head because I sound like I'm 12. So the joke was (laughs) that in his head, he's reading his diary, sounds like a 12-year-old girl. So Mm -hmm. things like that where I ended up, um, it was great because I ended up making a lot more than just an assistant because I was getting. But after a year, I realized I'm not writing. I've been in LA a year. I've learned a lot here, but this is not a place I'm going to move up. And I quit um, because I needed to start writing more. And so then I got a job cocktailing at the improv. Okay. And that was where I worked for years. And it was. That's amazing. Also, it just, it it takes a lot of courage and belief in yourself to quit a regular job, a salary job that you're making decent money at to say, because I want to write, I'm going to wait tables at the improv. Yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah, but I felt like what well, my alternative was to be in some be be in a job I wasn't really going to get me to where course, I wanted to go. And I know, but it is it's a scary thing to know that you come to L.A. It could take a long time, but if you're going to make it doing the thing you want to do, you've got to have the time to do it. Yeah, and your parents and were supportive of you this whole time. Very supportive. Big, yeah, yeah, totally supportive. They're like they were supportive, but also um, you know you're a grown up now and pay for your own dentist. You know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. they were. Uh, they were very supportive of my like c- creative career path. Now I don't want to go too off topic with this, but you were a cocktail waitress at the Improv. 
what comic did you have an affair with? Go. Because every waitress had an affair with at least one comic, every server. Uh, my guy has left the comedy business. Fitz, you can name him. And is... Uh... <laughs> Bill Cosby. I'm kidding. No. Uh, you don't have to say what I can't say his name, but I did... It, I wouldn't call it an affair because I was single and he was single. Well, so like I mean. a dalliance. So we had a we had a thing. He um he uh yeah. I will just say this. I um have not dated any weight uh, servers. God, I keep saying I keep correcting myself. I have a daughter who's incredibly PC, and she's always um she's always every time I say something that's not on the. What are like, you? What are we supposed to say now? Server. A server. You can't say waitress. Apparently not. Oh, okay. I didn't somehow, know that. It feels like server would be a much more offensive term. <laughs> like they're trying to get rid of the word owner for, for uh, people who own basketball teams or own football oh. teams. Because obviously the right. the plantation the metaphor team. is there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I was I, – I hooked – I was dated – what's what? I got to run. Okay. Thank you, T. Well Thank mm-hmm. you, buddy. Nice to meet you. She's great, right? She's so much. She's so much better than you said she was going to be. I'm why? Why did you say those lies about me? <laughs> All right, have fun. You're going to do a mic, Tommy. Yep. All right, have fun. Do you need some more caffeine? No, I'm okay. Take an okay. orange. The orange. Do you want? Do you want a joint? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. Those are the most expensive ones. Don't take both, you motherfucker. <laughs> okay. We're going to edit this part out. Probably not. But anyway. We can edit it out. <laughs> Just talking about marijuana. I already forgot what we were talking about. Uh, uh, so ha- dating dating a oh, cocktail and, waitress and, and, and at a comedy club. I dated one cocktail waitress. And Jay Leno wrote about this in his autobiography. As a comic, if you're able to pull or hook up with a waitress, it's the biggest validation yeah because they see everybody yeah they see every comic so if they hook up with you you must be doing something yeah good. You're, you must be funny you're funny you must be yeah no he definitely he he got a lot of points for that and he told everybody oh he did what, yeah yeah he was very excited to tell everybody and actually i ended up <laughs> there was a bartender also there that i ended up with and the way I sort of started talking to this bartender was I asked him, the comic's first name is Rick. I said, is what Rick is saying about me, does it make you want to sleep with me less or more? That's hilarious. Because I wanted to know, like, is he saying, like, oh, it was, she's awesome and it was – or she, he's mm-hmm. saying, like, I wanted to know. And that was my first sort of real conversation with this bartender that I ended up with for a very long time. Oh, then you were like, okay, so it must be good feedback. Yeah, it's good, it's good, good feedback. Um, so as now as you're as you're doing this, do you start hitting the writing with uh, you know the feet running on the ground and you're writing just spec scripts? I'm writing spec scripts. I got an agent pretty quickly, and I By thought the way, just, just for the dumb not the dumb people, the people who are uh, a spec script is basically uh, explain what a spec script is for people. So a spec so specs mean two different things for so a movie spec script means you write a script for yourself without getting paid by a studio and then you go and you try and sell that script to a studio. That's a movie spec. A lot of movies are written on spec versus pitching it, getting paid by the studio to write it. A spec TV script is something that's sort of dead now, but it used to be you'd come to LA and you would write a version of an episode of a show that's popular 
to get read to try and get a job to show you can mimic the voice. So like I wrote, because it was 20 years ago, I wrote a Drew Carey, Mm -hmm. a Just Shoot Me, a South Park, and then I wrote my own original pilot. And so you had to submit spec scripts to show you could mimic someone's voice and then it was good to have an original pilot to show that you have your own voice. And then hopefully an agent will sign you and then try and get you staffed. Yeah. Um, so I started with those. I got an agent quickly. I thought, oh my God, I've made it. Um, that was in 1999. And what my agent said to me then, which is incredible that she's a woman at a small agency, but reputable. She said, um, never suck a guy's dick for a job, but maybe let him think you might. And that was the advice in 99. Like, don't do it, but it's not the worst idea to kind of, and I just cannot believe how far like we've come since then, since that advice when I was 22 years old. Um, uh, so you're saying that no longer applies. I would I'm half say, serious, I'm half joking. I would, but I think that right in this moment, it no longer applies. Actually, I think in this moment in time in Hollywood, it really doesn't apply. Because I had a friend who um, was looking to do some stuff in the business out here and she, you know i feel i feel i want to name the pe- the men so bad but i can't fuck anyway and these managers uh big managers at huge like the biggest um you're amazing blah blah blah, blah. and they just and i and i told her i said they're gonna try to fuck you and they're like no blah 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 has a great reputation blah 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 is the head of blah 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 like i've known this person for yeah, but they're going to invite you. Sure enough, hey, let's meet up. Let's go to they go. I want to have to go to. Let's go to dinner. Okay, dinner's already like a little bit like right. Why, nice creepy. Why isn't not it? Meet me in my yard at night. Right. But, um, yeah, nothing's creepier than this. <laughs> but uh, went to Catano and they get there and the the server says or the hostess says, "Oh, Mister, oh, God, I want to say his name so bad." We have your corner table. And it's like the corner, like way, like the seats are catty corner. They're really close to each other with the little candle in the middle. His regular table where he turns out he takes these young actresses who want to make it in, in Hollywood. This was a, like a month ago. So I feel that – and of course he didn't touch her or do anything appropriate or say, if you do this, I'll right. do this. Um but he definitely brought up the Me Too stuff and he brought up the fact that, uh, wow, you know, you're so beautiful. I can't re- – I don't know if I can say that. You know, he kind of like did the weird – Right, mm-hmm, skirted around the – And the other – the manager said something like – said, oh, I want to like, you know, I want to date you and I, th- I think you're – whatever. So it's not like you can't – it's not like it's not happening but I feel like it's happening in a different format maybe. Um and I have had women very recently talk about this guy wants to do my series. He wants to produce my thing. So I'm going to let him think he can fuck me. I heard that a week ago. Okay. So these are people who are not your level, obviously. Well, so I, I mean, I don't – also, I've worked with mostly women the past few years. Really? Yeah. So I guess I'm not surrounded as much by that. So how did that – How did that? Um, what is your experience being a woman as a writer? I, I want to get a little bit more of the chronology. Your, your first big break was doing your diary at that podcast, and that led to the LA Weekly column. Was it weekly yes. Column? Uh, it was not a weekly column. They, they um, just actually had me write 
two articles for them. I, I went in and pitched two articles. One was um, about a one night stand I had with a ninja who I met on one of my sister's commercial sets. Um, a real ninja. He was a ninja. He was playing a ninja in this commercial. He is a stuntman. He was in full ninja garb. He was so beautiful and lithe and like jumping off walls with swords. I mean, he was a ninja. Yeah. And um, everyone on set was like, oh, my God, this man is beautiful. And uh, and after the shoot – and my sister was shooting. She lives in New York, but she shoots in L.A. a lot. I was just like hanging out because, you know yeah. – and after the shoot, he came up to me and he started talking to me and he asked what I was doing like, like now. And I was like, uh, nothing. And he's like, do you want to have dinner? And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, the ninja like the picked, ninja me. picked me. And I text my sister frantically from the car, like I'm having dinner with the ninja. See you later. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, it was like, it was like a movie scene and I have dinner with him and it's the most extraordinary dinner. And like. I, my phone rang and I had the Knight Rider soundtrack on my phone ring. Um, and he's like, I love Knight Rider. And I'm like, oh my God, me too. And like, of course, everything. everything. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to marry this man. And I'm so in love. I'll like, I, he was really like so smooth. Yeah. So smooth. And so that was our first date. We have a second date. And uh, we go play pool. Even though I don't play pool, it seems like one of those things you do on a second date. You, you know, yeah. whatever. And then... I bring him back to my apartment and we have sex and yeah. it's incredible. And I'm like, ninja Oh my God, sex. this guy, ninja level. sex, whole different level. And I'm like, this, this man is like the best man I've ever met. And then he says, Hey, I can't stay over cause my grandma's coming over in the morning and I got to help her. And I'm like, Oh, how sweet. Never heard from him again. He wow. totally played me. And the thing is, is like, I'm not a naive person. I've dated around. I'm not an idiot. I grew up on South beach, which is like sex all over the place. Sure. This guy was good. Like he, he was, was so smooth. And he was a ninja. He was a ninja. And poof, like that, he disappeared like he a ninja. He didn't ghost you. He ninja. He ninja me. So I pitched that as a sort of a dating, like an article to uh, LA Weekly and they loved it. And I wrote that. And then I wrote another article for them, which ended up launching my whole career sort of which was uh, an article called How to Get Divorced by 30. Okay, yeah. Um, and so that was after, though, 10 years in L.A. of waitressing, having random jobs. I was briefly the girl in the box at the Standard Hotel. Um, I don't know if that you've seen oh, that thing. Oh, I remember thing. the box at Standard Yeah, Hotel. so I don't was, think they have was, that anymore, do they? I don't know that they do. I but, think that um, kind of went away a couple of years ago in the wake of yeah, the and, uh, Yeah, it was uh, – I, um, I had all sorts of weird jobs for 10 years and then um, – started, you know, so, so then I had the second article for LA Weekly come out, how to get divorced by 30. And then in one week, I got a book deal and a movie deal. Wow. So it took 10 years. And then in one week, my career. It took 10 years to be an overnight success. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the article, so how did the article get so much traction? Just got shared? It ended up being on the front page of the LA Weekly, like the oh, cover wow. page. Wow. And so it was everywhere. And this is a time when the LA Weekly actually had and articles and everyone yeah. read it. It was everywhere. Yeah. Um, every office, every agency, every... Ca this is 2000 and... So this was um, like, oh God, uh, 11 years ago? This okay, was so it, was, it was almost like right before everything was Googleable. Yes, yeah, so everything yeah. was still in print. Um, it wasn't an online article. It was online, but on it it was also online. And I remember thinking how crazy there were comments online. And I thought, oh, wow, it's online and there's comments. Yeah, it was 
trying to think. Yeah, it was 11 years ago. Yeah. So 2008. Okay. Um, yeah, that's right when. Right and uh, and then it just like everyone in L.A. read it and it just blew up. And then within like and then Penguin reached out to me and said, you know, we're really interested in this article as sort of a book. Do you have you know, do you have a memoir in you? And I was like, actually, I've been working on one for years. Um, And I had, I had all these chapters of stuff and I didn't quite know how to put it together, but I'd been writing and writing and writing. So I was like, I do have a memoir in me. Here it is. And they were like, great, you know, memoir. Um, And then Universal. They offered you you a deal. They offered me a deal. Which is apparently now not unheard of, but it's so much more rare. And the money is not nearly what it used to be. The money for the book was not great. It was not, it's not like it's hard. Yeah. The advance, it's like it had it been a bestseller. I could have made some money on the back end, but, um, it was just, it was, it's so rewarding to like have a book published and, um, and, and the book is called the article's name. The how to, book how to get divorced by did you, thirty. Did you get divorced? I you, did. I got okay. divorced. I married this the bartender. You married the bartender. Got it. And then divorced the bartender. And you were married to him for how long? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. So is it a how-to guide, like an actual? Is it tongue in cheek? It's tongue in cheek, but it's tongue in cheek. But then it's my life and why I made certain decisions. So like, uh, like one chapter is marry an actor is how to get divorced by 30. And then I talk about sort of that. And then also um, four of my friends or five of my friends at the same time, all were also getting divorced by 30 and marry comedian is a subset of marry an actor, (laughs) how to get divorced by 30. Um, So it's like, there's some advice, but it's really like, here's why I made the mistakes I made and shows this guy who's a perfectly nice guy. And it wasn't about bashing him. It was about my choices as somebody in their twenties trying to like, check things off her list sure that makes sense um so it was definitely a very comedic book and did the bartender x did he find it interesting was he when he found out about it was he like what are you he doing? was not pleased <laughs> he with was, the result or with the idea of i'm not it? sure i'm not oh, sure we i don't know if he ever read it yeah. we i sent him uh an, a copy before it came out, because I didn't want to blindside him, um, and I don't know. I don't know what his feelings about it are. Um, wow. I don't know. I have a, a quick sidebar story. I w- was dating this woman, great woman. I have nothing bad to say about it. She was writing an addiction memoir, and um, she didn't know how to end it. And it's a gr- I couldn't even read the addiction memoir because this is a girl I was dating, but it's pretty pretty nasty. And she needed, but she needed, you need, you always need a, an ending of hope and renewal. And so when she pitched it to the company, um, I forget which company it was. I shouldn't say anyway. Uh, they, uh, she said, okay, the ending is like, she met me basically. And that everything in her life. And that was a while ago. And eventually they bought it and she started working. And then like, we started having problems in the relationship. And I knew that we, we had to break up. But she had to finish her book <laughs> because I was the happy ending right. of the book. So I couldn't break up with her Until she while finished. she's writing the book about the happy ending that is me because I would basically ruin her book. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I so basically she turned it in, did the rewrites, blah, 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 handed it in, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, we got to end See this. See ya. So um, that's very interesting because I, I definitely have not read the book, but I do know that like it all ends. It was... It's very, very sad. Ending. So, so he probably did. 
hear about it. Oh, he definitely heard about it. I mean, he heard about it because I sent him. I, I was and it was a popular book. It was. It was. A be- it was pretty, a bestseller. It wasn't a bestseller. I mean, it was popular. It was out and about in the world. He you know he definitely heard about it. Uh, he he was not. To- and you're not in touch with him anymore. Not really. No. Not really. No. Maybe friends on Facebook or not. Something. Yeah. The yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you feel that this book has been a book um, that has helped people? Is it something? You yes, get I from, did. From when this book came out, I actually got a lot of messages from men actually um, thanking me for laying it out and saying, "Oh my God, I'm not marrying my fiance, or I'm not asking this woman to marry me because she's pressuring me because she's 27 and she's losing her mind." And Jesus Christ, no one should be getting married in their 20s. Like, yeah. is sort of the feeling of like we're all just dumb and we don't know what we want. And a lot of people, uh, I, I met one woman in a yoga class who just a couple years ago, and she was like, "Oh my God, I had your article tacked on my wall." to remind me like I don't need to get married in my 20s it doesn't have to be a goal yeah. um, so I think the book did help a lot of people that's amazing well just the idea that the phrase starter marriage came about as a normal thing yeah. it's very bizarre and it comes about because people probably felt that they need to be married in their 20s yeah. or their head will explode right right um, so did did this lead to Carrie Diaries? So the book, uh, so then the feature film, yeah, so then the so then Universal optioned it. And um, because I had written a lot while in this 10-year period of sort of not really making it a living as a writer, I had written a lot of spec features, which now everyone knows what a spec feature is, <laughs> um, written them but not quite sold them, like almost meetings, this, that, but nothing really concrete. But I had them. So when Universal optioned the mo- the 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 article, they actually hired me to write the movie script, which is, which is not, rare. which is pretty rare. Um, it is pretty rare. And it was really exciting, but because I had these feature specs to, that it. they could read, they, they said, Oh, okay. You actually can write a movie and we're, and then the movie, which so many often happens, movie, movie scripts don't get made. So the movie ended up not getting made, but they commissioned you, but though. they commissioned me. I got paid. I got, it was like, I was, and then I was sort of in this, studio system of being a writer that could be counted on and then I ended up selling even though I never movies were never really what I love I love TV so much Um, but I ended up having this series of movie sales um, over the next several years where I would sell big comedies to studios get paid to write them it was fabulous and then they would wouldn't get made which a lot of people in LA you, um, they make a really good living and you never actually see their work because I, my, my best friend is working. I don't want to say the company again. I feel like I'm being so huh. redacted this episode, but, uh, he's worked on, they, they, they bring him in to do punch ups on certain movies. I don't know. And it's sort of no credit. Yeah. Hey, come in and watch the Lego movie and do some punch ups. Come and watch the, and, and he'll go and do that. And all these different movies, he'll rewrite scenes and he'll look in the movie and go, wow, I'm, that's my stuff on the yeah. scene. Zero credit. And he'll get paid a lot a little of money. Bit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but he's written i think commissioned three or four scripts it's been in variety and deadline and everything yeah. but nothing's been made he's at that point now where he's like what the like it feels like i haven't done anything yet yeah know, yeah I've because nothing, yeah it. no it is it's frustrating and um so and i movies so i had this sort of series of movie sales which were amazing and exciting but still yeah nothing was getting made and then i kind of returned to my love of tv where i was like i really i moved out here to be on a 
staff on a TV show. I want to work in TV. And I had a lot of meetings over the years and just didn't get staffed. I just wasn't quite, I, and I think it might've been a shift in the time. Like maybe I they, they had their one woman on staff and yeah. you know, with those days there was one woman in a room or maybe my voice was a little too edgy for network, but not quite edgy enough for cable, whatever it was. Um, and I ended up then selling TV pilots even before I ever got staffed. I had a a pilot at NBC um, with my my best friend who's a writes children's TV and she's very G rated and I'm very R rated and together we um, it was called my best friend's a lesbo and it was Great about title. our friendship thank you um, and she's super conservative lesbian and I'm a really wild straight girl and it's sort of mm-hmm. this fun pairing yeah and uh, it, it was the best experience developing that pilot and then it didn't go but there was this this like urgency and speed for with TV that isn't in features. It could take years. And I was like, I'm so locked into TV now. And so I sold a few more pilots and then Carrie Diaries. What did, by the way, did the pilots get shot though? No, no, no. Okay. Sorry. They didn't get shot. It was just sales. They got scripts. bought in the so, yeah. shelf. Yeah. yeah. So, um, right. Uh, so pitch, yeah, it would sell the pitch, write the pilot and the pilot would not get shot, but get paid to write the pilot. So at this point, Precary, nothing you've you've written, you've seen manifested yet. Really. Nothing. Okay. Nothing other than articles and my book, yeah. but nothing like on screen. Yeah. Then amazingly, uh, I'm doing that mortified show that I talked about reading my diaries and this incre- amazing woman, Amy Harris, is in the audience, happens to be there. She's the showrunner of Carrie Diaries. She had written on all the seasons of Sex and the City and she knew that she was bringing the character of Samantha Jones in as a young Samantha Jones. And she needed someone to like speak to that character who was like super racy and kind of, you know, like, like shameless and like Slytherin type of person, house of Slytherin type of person. And she heard my teenage diaries and realized I had already developed a pilot with the production company that did carry diaries. Everyone at Warner brothers already vetted me. And she was the first person to put me in a writer's room. Wow, that's and amazing. it was a and it was the best experience. So how does that unfold? You you do the show, you don't know her at this point. You've never heard of her, or do you know her because of I her I started talking to her after the show. We started she talking. You, like, yeah, she's exactly. She approached me at the bar, and then we realized we had all these friends in common. And I'm like, oh my god, oh yeah, you run a Carrie Diaries. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I worked with Josh and Stephanie. And we sort of just started talking, and she said we should grab a drink. And I was like, that'd be great. In my mind, it was not a job interview at all. Sure. And so I said to her, so the next week we're gonna have a drink, and I'm like, can I bring my dog? Because I'm I'm like I'm you know I bring my dog everywhere, and she's like, sure. So then we go to lab. I have my dog and it's a boxer and so she's 55 pounds she's not like a small dog but LACMA ended up that bar was closed that day so then we had to go somewhere else but they didn't allow dogs so then I said to Amy can you drive me back home to drop my dog off so then she's driving me all around town for my dog I drop my dog back off at home we end up at a bar and we're talking and then the next thing I know I get a job offer and I realized that that was my interview you get a call the next Um, day my agents um, my agent called and said would you be interested in being staffed and we know that you've been developing 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 but would you want to be locked in and be staffed and i was like yes yeah. yes i want to be in a room i want to experience that yeah and this was so carrie dyers was 2012 yeah. yeah so um what was a writing staff what was a breakdown was it men women mostly women uh it there were two men in there and one two four women it's a very small room Anyone from the original Sex and City? Amy. Amy was Amy the only. Stone? Amy Harris, oh, no. Amy who Harris, was yeah. running it, was the 
uh, was a writer on the original Got Sex it. and the City, but none of the she's the only writer on from Sex and the City. Yeah. Now, when when you're on a staff for a show like this, and I've never been staffed before, obviously, so uh, I imagine there's there's a sole writer for per episode, and then people contribute, or how does that work? So. Usually, as a room, you break the big storylines and you say over the course of uh, this season, you know, Carrie's going to lose her virginity and her friend is going to get robbed and this guy is going to come out of the closet. And you you have these big storylines and then you discuss um, big plot points as a room and you debate and you tell stories about your life that can kind of, you know, filter through and what we want to see for each character. And you start really wide and then you start narrowing and narrowing. And then when you get down to um, and there's boards in the writer's room, there's like all these boards, either chalkboard or like a whiteboard or everyone has a different system. And then um, you start to talk about a specific episode. So usually the first episode of every season, the showrunner writes. Then the second episode, it sort of is like an army where depending on what your title is, the co-EP will write the second one and the supervising producer will write the third one and you kind of go down the line. Um, And then as you get to an episode you're going to write, the room has sort of been involved with all the storylines and the the vague outline of that. And then you go off for a week on your own and you turn that into a script. So what point did that happen with you? So uh, I wrote... um, on Carrie Diaries, I wrote episode because actually I came in at an awesome title because I had never been in a writer's room before. So really a staff writer would have been my, but because I had had years of selling features and developing and selling pilots, I came in as a consulting producer, which was an amazing title to have never having been in a room. Oh, I didn't know that you were that and Carrie Diaries as well. That I that you were a consulting producer. Yeah, yeah. So I came in. Yeah, as so I, but I wrote episode six and twelve of that year. So those were my episodes, but had a big hand in got it the whole season arc. So and all when the- you when you go away for the week, you write your your episode six, and then you come back. Is there a lot of trepidation there? Is that a terrifying thing? Oh my god, it's terrifying. Here's my baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrifying because you're writing characters that aren't yours, and yeah. you're trying to make the person that hired you proud or you know happy or at least feeling comfortable with their decision and you turn it in and you hope that you did a good job and then often the showrunner will do a usually give you notes you'll do another pass then the studio gives you notes the network gives you notes and then the showrunner might do a pass that they just want to like smooth out things so the voice of the show is really seamless yeah um but yeah it's really scary to turn it in yeah and how how much difference was there in the script that you turned in the one that ended up being done that episode was pretty – actually, uh, there weren't many changes. It was a really amazing, great yeah. place to start. Um, yeah. And it was the episode that Carrie as a teenager first writes about sex in her journal. Yeah. So it was a very personal episode for me to write because I wrote so much in my journal. And did because you go I, back to your journal? Like, I oh my did. God, I went back. Line. Yes. So That's I so once again went back to uh, something I had written about my high school sweetheart. Um, and I put a line about him in the, in the show and it's in the show. It oh, made it, beautiful. it made it to the final edit. Yeah. 
And Carrie Diaries was about what, three years? Two or? seasons. Two seasons. There's only two seasons. I remember when it came out, I was in New York and I felt like it had so much momentum and word of mouth. Yeah. It, it had a huge fan base and I think it was the timing of when younger people were shifting away from watching actual TV oh. and the numbers weren't being factored in of all the young girls that were watching on laptops or computers or whatever. YouTube like it was kind of coming YouTube, up. Yeah. Too, and yeah. Um, because our ratings were not great for the actual like Nielsen ratings. And the but reviews this, were amazing too. Yeah. The yeah, reviews were really good. It was oh. it was a really like delightful show. Yeah. So when that ends, and that probably was a shock to you. Um, I mean, you always hear that whenever an actor. I, I wasn't shocked just because I knew, knew I knew the numbers. You feel like every week you're like, what's the, what's the. Well, what's I just, you kind of like you're in the room and you get the numbers and you kind of know like you're on the bubble. I mean, we yeah. were on the bubble. TV so. by the numbers. Oh, the bear's coming after us. Yeah. The cancellation bear. Yeah. I'm like, there's you, a no, bear. I'm like, there's you know, a bear. You know, TV by the numbers, right? Is that something that. It's no. Just, it just, it's all these nerds who they create a website where they just track every week or every day, like what shows should be canceled or are going to be canceled. They call it the cancellation bear. I don't, it's I've really, somehow it's really, avoided this. It's a very this. schadenfreude, right. schadenfreude. schadenfreude type schadenfreude. of uh, website where people go, let me just see, oh, is this yeah. show taken, this show taken. Um, and I didn't know if like people were actually in the writer's rooms were actually looking at this. No, I've never website. looked at that awful Good website. You. But no. you get the numbers and yeah. so you do know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so after that, did you feel that you were now in a circle of people where – the work will beget work or was it a moment before I so uh then um Amy Harris and I had a great working relationship and a great bond and I had a pitch um for a show a dark comedy and she thought that this lead would Sarah Jessica Parker would be perfect for the lead and she knew her of course from Sex and the City and so after Carrie Diaries ended I ended up developing a show at HBO with Sarah Jessica Parker no so that was the one thing that um Sarah Jessica Parker wanted to be back at HBO and she was looking for the right material. And she, her, she, I was told there's one project that's been in the works for a while, but we don't think it's going to happen. We're not sure. So I developed mine and then divorce happened. Oh, Um, but that was the next thing I did was I had a pilot. I had a pilot script at HBO, which was very exciting with SJP, which was amazing. Um, and Amy Harris was going to be the, you know, sort of supervising me. Uh, and so that was the next big, Event. So now HBO owns it, but sitting. It's 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 actually disc. yeah it's uh, so Warner Brothers. It's Warner Brothers was a studio, and I think they technically have it back. Okay, and I could you know. So you could take it somewhere I, else if you wanted. I, to. Yeah, I think I think so. But is I that sort something of, that you? Is that something that writers do a lot? Or is not that really? That, like, it's sort of more difficult than you'd think, and also I I mean I think like if I had. The perfect actress or if I had the perfect director or something, I feel like I need a piece of it to also I have new stuff that I'm passionate about. And it's hard to to repurpose things once they're kind of dead where you focused all of your I mean, it can happen, certainly, but I haven't had success with it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that the writer friends of mine, it seems like they just keep like, hey. I did this. No more. Next thing. Yeah. Next thing. Next thing. Which to me, it just feels like you're Sisyphus pushing a rocket. Yeah. But I guess once you've developed the momentum in your career, it doesn't feel that way. I've had one pilot that I wrote and I had like five meetings and people were really excited and nothing happened. I was like, oh, fuck it. That's not for me. Nice. 
which is whatever. There's a whole it's other. It's too hard. It's too hard. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I really, I'm, I really admire you. So, so then glow, which is sort of where you're at now, where you're living now. Uh, yes, I'm li- I've been um, living there for huge three years. For Netflix, yeah. Right? I mean, it's a critical hit and a, and a ratings hit. And how did that come about? So the ladies at Glow, Genji uh, Cohan, who's the executive producer, and then Liz um, and Carly, who are the showrunners, they read my HBO pilot, oh, wow. the one that didn't get made, and liked it very much and brought me in. And I... Um, had a meeting with them and I just I was a I watched glow as a child I did you really? yeah in the early 80s I fully I loved I loved glow and I actually was a huge wrestling fan um wow oh, well you're in Florida uh, yeah well sense. Miami but I they're just the pageantry of it all and the mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. I just loved it and actually um p- applied for a job um in my early 20s during the waitressing time applied to write for the WWE and got the job but I was going to have to move to Connecticut which is where their headquarters are and I thought if I leave and move to Connecticut kind of like the Kilbourne job I'm going to get stuck there for years and I'm never going to make the thing in LA so I turned the job down because I thought I could write from LA and like turn stuff in but but they want it they want the writers there so that I so anyway glow is sort of this amazing like confluence of yeah. things that I love like ragtag team of weird women wrestling Genji I, I mean her work is incredible um, Liz came off of uh, Nurse Jackie which is one of my favorite shows of all time I was so thrilled to work with these women and yeah. uh, and then I got the job were you were you brought in after the pilot had already been written and it was been picked up yeah so Netflix had uh, picked up the series um the interesting thing was when the original draft of the pilot uh, there were some there was some debate about should real characters from Glow be used or not yeah, and then we decided as a as a writer's room and as Netflix decided everything should be fictional. Like the, the title glow is, you know, real, but it's completely fictional because then we can do whatever we want. Yes. So we kind of, um, the writers, when we were brought in, we sort of rebuilt fictional characters. Yeah. Um, and that was a big chunk of work in the beginning of the room for the first couple months was like building out like 14 fictional. Wow. 14. Cake. Yeah. Yeah. Did characters. you, did you sort of conglomerate certain People from Glow into one character type of thing, or did you just sort of completely disregard? We tried to just disregard and clean slate. I'm certainly, you you know, it's hard to to not remember the some of the greats, and also the tropes are there. Like you're obviously, but yeah, we really tried to make each character it's her own. Are any of the the women who were part of Glow connected to the project? Are they? Um, one of the women who was in Glow actually owns the rights, and so she sold the rights to Netflix. So okay. she she is involved in that way, um, yeah. but she's the only woman who's involved. Yeah, and how is this different from writing for the Carrie Diaries? Completely different type of writer's room? Is it a completely – do you have more power or something? Is it something – because you're also supervising producer. Um, and third – so the season of Glow that's coming out, I don't know when this is – when is this coming we'll out? We'll do it whenever. Uh, we'll, so August seventh. Okay, we can. Wait third season. No, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying if it's past August seventh, this will be meaningless. No, okay. But August seventh is third season of Glow, and on the third season, I'm a co-executive producer. So, um, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, so does that mean more ching ching? A little bit more. A little, a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. And uh, well, yeah, a little more 
decision making and being yeah. on set and sort of getting in there. So, yeah. um, but what was your question? Oh, with how is it different? Well, the, it's really different in the sense that for Netflix, you make all the shows and then they all come out at one time. And yeah. so there's no feedback from the audience at all. First season, we're all in the room you know, writing the stuff, then casting it. We started writing before we cast. So we're writing sort of two invisible characters and then then finding the cast, which is really different than a network show that already has a pilot shot. So yeah. you know who you're writing for. And then you're writing them all and just putting them out in the world at one time. Whereas you, with the Carrie Diaries, like week to week, there would be this like feedback, w- yeah. whether bad or good, but you're you're not like living in a, you know, in a bubble of not knowing anything. And so there's excite. it's that's good and bad, but yeah. that's it. That's the biggest difference. I've, I've, I've actually been talking to people about that a lot recently because, uh, in, in my most recent life in terms of shows I've, I've watched and became obsessed over the two were probably breaking bad and game of Thrones. And part of the, part of what built the obsession for the show was the weekly wait. And then yeah. the the uh, water cooler talk by the office. Not like we read a job, but um, <laughs> it would create some sort of momentum yeah. going into the next week. And I've wondered with shows that start off super super hot, like Orange Is the New Black, and then kind of faded a little bit into you know you and whatever anonymity. Um, is that is that a fear that 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 creating the momentum for a show that glow that people buzz about to keep it going over several seasons because it becomes a binge thing. Then after people binge it in one week, then right. what are they talking about? Right. Then they you don't know? see it for a year. Is that, is that something that people – I mean I don't know what – Netflix seems like it's such a big mystery to everyone because no one knows the numbers. Yeah. The algorithm. The secret algorithm. Do you know Do you know the numbers that people are watching in the I show? I don't know the numbers. And I really don't. don't think about yeah. It. I don't know the numbers. Um, I, I think it's just a really different way to look at entertainment and whether it lasts – or not, I guess we'll see. I think one thing Netflix is starting to do, which there's been articles written about, is sort of this three-season template where maybe because of that, maybe because there's not the the waiting and the building up of suspense week after week after three seasons, maybe the audience is ready to move on. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Do you prefer it this way? Do you think this is the future of I think television? this the fu- I think the future is uh, absolutely instant gratification. Yes. I think the the thought of having to wait a whole week to watch some, the next episode is so outrageous to so many younger people that have never had to do that 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 I think this is he- here to stay. But I remember Lost for me Lost was that I would go to work at the time I worked at MTV and we, I would talk to all the my people you know people at MTV about oh my god what's in the thing and what's you know the monster and what like we it was so exciting to talk about lost and then you watch the next week and then you yeah um and that becomes a question of who can binge watch it faster yeah right who can stay up all night and not spoil it for everybody but i think it's i just even like i just signed up for um youtube tv and got rid of cable and satellite what is youtube tv oh my god it's the greatest thing youtube tv if you're listening you should give bill some stuff um so basically it's everything is in the (laughs) i'm like zoolander it's in the computer like you computer for ants you yeah um school for ants (laughs) it's live tv is in there Everything, every station is in there. Everything you've ever wanted is in there. You can have a queue. You can have a library. It's $50 a month for everything. And then if you want Showtime, it's extra. Um, like, but it's the best. And then the app isn't, I think it's the Apple app 
or so the Apple TV app or something to get it in the TV. I'm really like I'm Zoolander. so confused because it sounds like it is it part of Apple TV or is it separate from are YouTube and Apple are they fucking now is everything I don't know I can't I think you can get to YouTube TV through another device you just have to get it in (laughs) you know when you turn the TV on and you like click a thing like this is the this is turn on TV you click a thing like Netflix and like Hulu and then yeah. Apple TV. Oh, so and well, then there's YouTube. There's YouTube TV. Is so it thing YouTube that you can click? So that's separate from YouTube TV. Yes. Got it. Yes. YouTube TV you sign up for and you pay $50 a month and you and get everything. everything. And you get live TV too. Live TV, yes. That's really good because Hulu, Hulu has the live TV thing too. And I started fucking with that. But then I was in New York and I tried to log in. They're like, you can't do two plays at the same oh. time. And I called up Hulu and I told them go fuck themselves. Yeah, that you should at least have two places. Yeah. Yeah, so, look into YouTube TV because it's made me very happy. Um, <laughs> You've been talking about your amazing career, but the most excited you got <laughs> was talking about YouTube TV. Yeah, and then I did this movie, and then I did no, no, no. But YouTube TV. I okay, I'll try and be more excited about me. I am very excited about my career. I'm very excited. Yes. So um, that's everything's really amazing, and I want I want to ask you about uh, casting Mark Maron. Was he was he uh, Always the decision for that was he a choice? Because he's he's he. I've opened for Mark. He's an interesting guy. He's obviously a legend in the comedy yeah. community. Um, he is a curmudgeon to say the least. Um, so uh, how did that come about? So Mark tells this story uh, it, on one of his podcasts. So I I am saying this knowing that that this is a story that he is told. But um, <laughs> we, I I sort of vaguely knew Mark when I was cocktailing at the improv. He wasn't an improv guy, but I mean, all those guys were yeah, around. So I sort around. of, you know, knew him. And yeah, knew he was sort of a grumbly, you know, jerk. And um, so when we were casting the pilot, we, we like find out that Mark Maron has submitted a tape. And we're like, why? Why? We didn't ask, like, we didn't ask him for Mark to submit a tape. This is ridiculous. And, um, and then we like, we're like, fuck it, let's watch the tape and like, see, you know, if Mark Maron can act. And we watched it and we were just silent at how good he was and how he embodied this character so, so clearly. And then we kept talking about Mark Maron, what he's going to be the he's going to be an actor. Like, what is what is happening? Like, and every time we started writing more scripts, even before the, and we brought like every guy in Hollywood in for this, but yeah. couldn't we started writing to Mark Maron's voice in that casting Without even tape. knowing that you were doing it we, or you he, knew that you were doing just, it? Just we started being aware each of us separately would be like, oh my God, I'm actually writing Sam, picturing Mark and everyone sort of, we all realized we were doing that and it became completely unavoidable. It became yeah. so clear to us and what I realized is how amazing of Mark to submit like to not have too big of an ego to submit himself to something. Cause so many people are like actors in Hollywood, you know, will be like, I'm I will, only. I, I'm offer only. I'm not going to audition this and that. And how awesome for him to take the leap to submit himself. Yeah. And he was undeniably perfect. That's so And cool. a real joy to work with. And, um, was he a fan of glow as a kid uh, when he was younger? I actually, I'm not sure so, if I mean, we've what, ever. Did he, he submit through an agent or like his his manager had read the pilot and was like, "Mark, Mark you got to see this got character." Yeah. Um, and then he just really understood that character. Well, yeah. And um, the amazing thing about 
working with Mark is he is so respectful of the scripts and the words. He is there to act. He is not there to rewrite. Or try to he is stand not up there or... to try and do stand up. And um, we often will say, Mark, do you have like a, a an, an option or a joke you want to throw in? Um, because we want what he has to say. But he is so respectful of that we're writing the show and that his job is to act this character. And it's incredible um, to just work with somebody that's not trying to like you know push their own way in and i i just love that about him that's amazing has he been nominated for an emmy for that he first season was nominated i think for oh god i don't remember he was nominated for sag award first season uh Uh, second season he was not nominated Uh, well emmy nominations for second season haven't even come out yet they're coming out in like a month um but yeah he got a ton of attention first season yeah no he's great in it um and I guess we yeah, will see about Emmys. It's weird because the way the timing works is Glow third season is coming out right after second season Emmy announcements will be made. So it seems like so long ago. Yeah. But yeah. And do you have a do you want to be a showrunner? Do you want I to be do. The- yes, I do want to be a showrunner. That is my goal. And um, I am developing now some things that will if they go to series, I would be the showrunner. And so. do you feel that you have a knack? communicating with actors and because we're a crazy fucking bunch obviously yeah i do i think that just uh being calm and clear are the two most important things <laughs> on, on a set if you're calm and you're clear everything is going to be is going to work work itself out it yeah. re- really it's the hysterics and the vagaries that drive people fucking insane yeah and i i really think that that's that's going to be my key to communicating. That sounds calm, good. clear communication. It's the three calm, C's clear communication. I completely agree. The smartest director I ever director at play is kind of like a showrunner, right? Was Tommy Kale, who I don't know if you know, Tommy Kale, I don't. Thomas Kale. He directed Hamilton. And now okay. I think he's, I think he's a showrunner on Fosse on FX. Oh yeah. Okay. He's the smartest human being I've ever met. And he would just, um, Whenever I would get, you know, emotional or bitchy, as I may happen, because you're doing a play for eight months. Yeah. Um, he just had a, a real way of, of calming you down and making you feel stupid for being upset, which I thought right. was really like you feel stupid. Yeah. Like, hey, you made me feel stupid. Like, well, I guess I am kind of stupid right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good way in. It's just like, come on, guys, you're acting like, yeah, it's, it's, let's, you know. Yeah. And it must it must be a fun because you're getting the instant gratification of kind of like being on the fly and stuff and also writing the show in the background. So it's kind of, kind of combines yeah. everything that you've ever done. Yeah. In life, you know? it, and, uh, on, the character of Melrose on glow is very much like my girl. Like she's sort of the me yeah. of it all. And, uh, Jackie, I don't, have you had Jackie tone on your podcast? I would love to. Jackie, you gotta come Jackie. to the weird yard here. The um, yard. <laughs> she's a great standup, but, uh, yes, she, she um, she and I bonded in a way that was because, because Melrose was so me and I'd be like, come on, Jackie, just fucking be Melrose. Don't be Jackie. And she'd be like, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and she would immediately click in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that sort of, that's fun to like, just get to the heart of the actor of it and get rid of all the other insecurities or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. You know. Um, now before we go, cause we should probably wrap this up. Cause you said you were like, Oh, I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> I gotta get, be in bed by nine 30. Um, I did want to ask briefly about 
your experience as being a, a female a writer and a female in this business. Um, do you feel, has there been sort of a, uh, a tectonic plate movement in the industry that you felt in terms of how women are being treated or how they're being respected? Or is it something that's much more subtle? And just what, what do you feel about everything that's happened in the past few years in terms of women's movement and everything else? Um, well, three words or less. Oh yeah. It's a hard question. One, because I've always been a woman, so I have nothing to compare my experience to. So it's not like I can, uh, um, also I've been really cocooned because I've worked mostly for women the past three years. Um, I do think there's a shift just in the sense that writers rooms are trying to now be like half and half the same with trying to have more minorities in writers rooms. I think it's like, there's this awareness that there doesn't have to be eight white guys and then one other person in a room. And that has definitely changed um, a lot of opportunities for women to because the one slot doesn't have to be taken. So there can be more. um, I did this really fun comedy called Huge in France about Gad Elmaleh. I had had dinner with Gad when I was in Paris doing comedy. Yeah. So that so pretentious, but it's true. Anyway, uh, he's amazing. He is so funny. So that was on Netflix for a minute and I don't know that it's come back for a second season. I don't know. I, look, I gotta say, I, I met Gat. I don't know him that well. He's he's great. Maddie Del Negro. Oh is my a god! Mine from New York. Went to BC. What's that? Matt went to BC. He did. Yeah, oh, that's right. He went to us. One of the best humans on the. Yeah. On the planet. No, the cast was amazing. But what was my point? Oh, the, so that show was run by men, uh, Jared and Andy. Uh, so that was they're hysterical, completely, totally awesome teeny room and there was me and another woman in the room um and it was great because i know her and when we both got called in for the interview we were each in our head like oh one of us will get it because they can only have one woman yeah but they hired both of us because of course like but so that is a shift like that's great that they're they're um so i guess in that way i think that that's an example of things are shifting yeah well that's great so uh Plans for the future. We talked about you want to be a showrunner. So that's you yes. have a lot of big stuff going on. Is there anything else? Do you have any bucket list things or anything like, I don't want to say 10-year plan, but if you go, this would be sort of the pie-in-the-sky thing for me. Um, I have just had so many different versions of dark comedies about my family in different selling them in this way and selling them in that way and almost having this. and That is my ultimate goal is to have a show sort of loosely based on my very interesting and fucked up family. Is there a movie that exists in the pantheon that you look at and go, this is the best corollary to what I want? You know, there must be a movie that you look at and go, uh, they did. They they told their story so authentically. Yeah, it, I'm sort of like it's it would be like Schitt's Creek and Royal Tenenbaums Got combined it. would be like such clear characters and messages. And I think those are two good <laughs> examples of what I would want to be going for. Yeah, family wise and comedy wise. That's amazing. I'm sure it's going to happen. And we had so much. We were going to talk about lower back pain. We oh, God. About, we were going to talk about your death threats because your last name is Rothschild. Oh, and all yeah. The conspiracy theories. Twitter, stop trying to kill me because I'm not. First of all, I don't even have. I'm not even like a Rothschild with an S in my last name. And uh, stop with the anti-Semitism. Yeah, it's your just, family did not intentionally set up the Holocaust. It's it's just rude. Yeah. It's that, rude. That's fine. So anyway, and hacky. It is hacky. Stop being point. so hacky. Stop being. <laughs> 
the conspiracy theory thing that could be a whole other podcast but uh yeah it's it's running amok these days it's, i will say that it's running amok maybe you will come back and we'll talk conspiracy yeah, theories i'll come back um, now that i know his yard is safe it is safe. you're amazing i'm so happy to have met you thank happy you so much you. sasha rothschild signing off from the afterlife bye bye it's the after left after left welcome to the after left after left after left after left man <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>